Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show in its 19th year on Voice America. And today we have a wonderful guest. We're talking about, you know, how do you, how can you be resilient? How can you get through things in life that are really hard and get through them and keep moving on? And we have an amazing woman. Her name is Maggie Cast. She began writing in the 1990s following a career in modern dance as founder, director, and principal choreographer of the Chicago Contemporary Dance Theater. She is the author of a memoir, The Crack Between the Worlds, in 2009, and a novel, A Free, Unsullied Life, in 2015. And she now has a brand new book, which is um, a novel as well. It's called Side by Side, But Never Face to Face. And she and her husband have five children, and um, she has three grandchildren, four step-grandchildren, and two step-great-grandchildren. And three of her children are now living. And her stories and essays have been chronicled in The Sun, Nimrod, Rosebud, Writer's Chronicle, and many, many, many others. All right, Maggie. Wonderful to have you here. Wonderful. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. You know, you've been through quite a bit. You've coped with the pain of losing a daughter and the challenge of having a son with a developmental disability, including the stigma of being labeled retarded. You've also converted in your religion. Uh, you've had, you know, you've had a lot. And I know that your book has some parallel um, issues between your life and the novels, you know, how the novel that you created. So let's just start at the beginning. What inspired you to write this book? Well, the book began from the novella. Uh, most of the stories, not all of them, but most of the stories had been written before uh, and published elsewhere. Um, so the novella is the, is the heart of this book. And it, uh, I was inspired to write it by a documentary that I saw um, about the Hmong community. And uh, I was just so uh, entranced by the way that they adapted but yet kept their own traditions and their own uh, religion and how that, how that could, what that could teach me um, about a really different way of life. Now, this, what, that, what was this community again? What was it? M? It, it's, it's the Hmong community. It's spelled H-M-O-N-G. They're uh, originally from uh, Southeast Asia. And okay. many of them uh, helped our forces during the uh, Vietnam War, mm. uh, and and some of those were uh, airlifted out and settled in various U.S. communities at the end of the war. Now, your book is, you know, in today's world, we have such world and religious and cultural differences, and as we see even more now, we're getting sources of tension and hatred and violence. And mm-hmm. in your book, you focus on how these differences reveal what make us human and a bridge toward connection with one another. So what makes some people more inclined to value difference and others sometimes to demonize it? Well, of course, if I had the answer to that, 
I would be way ahead of way ahead of the times. Um, but I think that it really has to do with uh, I would call it how high the water is. That is how safe you feel in your own circumstances. Yeah. If you feel very victimized, like you have never had a fair shake, and that everybody's against you, and maybe you get some reinforcement for that because you've lost a job or you're really suffering uh, from illness or a hardship of some kind, uh, it's easy to uh, turn inward and say, you know, I'm only interested in me and mine, and uh, I don't care about the rest of the world. Um, if you have some self-confidence and you feel that you've been blessed, uh, then it's much easier to open up and uh, say, you know, I would like to reach out to someone who is different from me and uh, and learn from that. But sometimes when we've had difficult things, as you've, you know, you've lost a child, when, when we've had really tough things or we've had financial struggles or we've had relationship loss, sometimes we become jaded. But yeah. not everybody does, right? Some people just say, well, these have been very hard things, but I'm still going to get to the goal. I'm just going to pick myself up again. I'm going to learn from my experience, and I'm going to keep trying, and I'm going to keep creating positive things. Your comment on that? Well, I think some of that is going to depend on how you were brought up. You know, if you were brought up uh, with some sense of confidence that your, your parents had or some ability to, you know, go through difficulty and come out on the other side, that helps. If you've been abused as a child, for instance, uh, that makes it much harder to uh, to have a confident attitude in the face of difficulties. Um, but I think it's pretty complicated, you know. Human psychology is, is way beyond anything we understand. So let's talk about um, one of your characters, because connection to others and the willingness to expose oneself is a theme that runs through your whole book. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about Greta and how she accomplishes psychiatric treatment and through her relationship with a priest as well. So talk about that. Talk about the differences between psychiatry and maybe a more traditional relationship with a priest. Uh, are they complementary? Can you do both? Um, well, yes, I think I, I did not do both at the same time, but yes, I think it's possible. Um, even though tr- traditionally there's been a kind of a negative feeling about religion uh, in the field of psychiatry, but I think that has very much uh, lightened up in recent times. Um, they are very different in their goal, um, although, again, I have seen psychiatric language used in religion. They even have used the term, you know, um, conversion as therapy, but but I don't really see it that way. I think that um, therapy is a healing, and, and many processes can be healing, but this is a, is a kind of healing that takes place with, with no investment uh, other than financial on the part of the healer, uh, and it's, it's all done to help the person who is being healed. Um, Whereas uh, religion is more, of, I mean, of, like a spiritual direction, that kind of mm-hmm. relationship is more of a, a mutual relationship, um, but it still has aspects of healing in it, and, and terms like healing are used in religion all the time. Um, so they have something in common, uh, mm-hmm. but they are, they are different. Mm-hmm. And they have different goals. I mean, the, the goal in spiritual direction is to nurture one's spirituality, um, and uh, the goal in, in uh, psychiatry is more sort of baseline. It's to enable you to live a life. So let me ask you, I know you say that you converted. Uh, 
um, your religion, right, to Catholicism. And mm-hmm. how did that affect all of this in terms of, you know, have speak, seeking out um, the spiritual guidance as well as maybe the psychological or psychi- psychiatric guidance? Well, it made me... the. I'm not quite sure what you're asking, but I think that the experience of having spiritual direction did make me, when the time came, the time being when my husband died, when that time came, it made me more open to the idea of psychiatry because I had never Mm. had any kind of therapy before. I mean, nowadays it's pretty common, but in Mm -hmm. my family, well, my mother had had psychiatric therapy, but I had never had any and I didn't expect to. but then after my husband died, you know, I was, I was really upset for a while, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I knew I needed something. And, uh, I, you know, I talked to friends about it and got some suggestions, and that turned out to be a life-saving, life-saving thing for me. Right. Along with, of course, you had your spirituality, too, from your faith. Right, although I was not then seeing a spiritual director. That, uh, you know, that was just something that happened much earlier. Mm. Interesting. So, but I, was, um, I still am a member of a faith community. I want to ask you about, um, this is very interesting in your book, and then we've got three minutes to break, but I want to ask you about this. You know, the whole idea of confession, whether it's to a licensed professional or a religious figure, creates that intimacy. So your main character in the book feels romantic attraction toward men whom she confesses her thoughts and feelings. How common is this, and why do women find it easier to talk to figures of authority than their own life partners? Well, uh, first of all, I'm not sure that they do find it easier to talk to a figure of authority than to their life partners, but uh, with with a life partner, there's always um, the, the issues of the relationship between you that you have responsibility for. If you're, you know, if you're in a partnership, you're, you're, you'll be afraid to say some things that might hurt or upset or make angry your partner. Uh, whereas in a relationship with a therapist or a spiritual director, you can say pretty much whatever you want. Um, however, uh, I mean, I, I had a very, uh, good communication with my husband, um, that, but I, there's still some things that I wouldn't have talked about. But um, but I did. We did talk a lot. I mean, we talked every day and a lot about a lot of different things. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that it was was that it was better to talk to a therapist. It was just different. It was somebody that somebody outside of outside of the relationship, and that person can see things more objectively, you know, and can uh, can you know can have have a different viewpoint, yeah, a, a viewpoint that where there's no personal investment or less personal investment. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the main character in the book is Greta, and her helplessness and confusion about how to help her disabled adult child who becomes critically ill, while also navigating some conflicting medical advice. So, you know, these are things that a lot of us go through, not a lot of us, but many. I mean, at one time or another, you have conflicting advice, you have people that you have to care for, you're not sure which way to go. So, um what, what she does, what Maggie does in her novel is really bring up, you know, issues that we all face or we can all face. And um, she does it in a, in a novel 
in that context, but some of these have run through her own life as well. So it's very interesting to talk about these issues. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back with Maggie Cast, who wrote the book Side by Side but Never Face to Face right after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. The special needs community is made up of many individuals, from children with Down syndrome to autism and ADHD issues to those who may have suffered a brain injury. On More Than Special, host Jermaine Suford and her guests explore topics that are of interest to special needs children and adults. Our program is a forum for parents, caregivers, and experts to come together to discuss relevant topics. Listen every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. We are talking to Maggie Cast who has written a novella, which is a little shorter than a novel, called Side by Side, but Never Face to Face. And she has a gift for illuminating her characters' inner lives and these beautiful stories as they shuffle between the past and the present in Europe and America and really strike a balance between intimacy and mystery. And it's a very wise and powerful book. And... um, let me tell you a little more about Maggie. She began writing in, 19, in the 1990s following a career in modern dance as founder, director, and principal choreographer for the Chicago Contemporary Dance Theater. She's the author of uh, a memoir and a novel and now this wonderful book, which again is called Side by Side but Never Face to Face. Welcome back, Maggie. 
Thank you very much, Patricia. Happy to be here. All right. All right. Tell us the title. I'm still trying to figure it out. Everybody is side by side and not face to face. What? Tell me the significance of the title of this novella. Well, since the collection as a whole is about encounters with the other, with people that are different from you, uh, the title reflects the fact that we can never know each other completely. There's always, we can, we can relate in many ways, like being side to side, but we can never, there's always something about the other that is unknown, that is a mystery. And so we can never truly see each other face to face. Um, and um, so that was, that's the core of the, of the whole collection, actually. Yeah, very interesting. Hmm. And, and you know, I think in some ways it fits for today's world, you know, where these shows are evergreen, meaning people can hear them two or three years later, but we're in mm-hmm. the middle of a, of a pandemic right now. So in, we're in 2020 and in October, and so we're looking at, you know, not see a lot of us aren't seeing each other. We see each other over Zoom and over video conferencing. But, um, you know, I wonder how these characters in the book or how this might have been different if it were written through the eyes of COVID-19. Uh, gee, I don't know. I have been writing other, you know, different essays uh, since I've been in, in, in quarantine. Um, and, of course, they do take into account the pandemic. Um, it's very hard for me to imagine uh, what the writing would have been like in different circumstances because, you know, yeah. that's, cause it, it, was all, it was already done. I mean, it was accepted for publication a year before it was published. So yeah. it was accepted for publication in June of 2019, which means I've right. been writing it ever since about 2015. Uh, wow. And uh, so there's, you know, a huge amount of revision, consulting with editors, working with other people, my writing group, and so on. Um, it's an intense process. So I yes. can't really imagine it taking place without being able to see people. Yeah. Now, in the book, Greta's helplessness and confusion about how to help her disabled adult child who becomes critically ill um, while navigating medical advice is, is, uh, is heart-wrenching. Do you think doctors and family members cling too much to a loved one who's critically ill? At one, at what point and how can someone prepare to really let go of a loved one? It's not an easy, it's not an easy one. Well, I don't think that that is uh, really a, uh, a question that applies to my case because my son was only 34. There wasn't any thought of letting go. I mean, I, I never would have signed a DNR, for instance, for him, a do not resuscitate order. Uh, I expected him to live, and I kept on working on it until it was not possible anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. But in the book, uh, but yeah, in the book, what what was what you're feeling there in terms of how that, you know, how how difficult that was for her in the story? Oh, it was extremely difficult, and the problem is that uh, I mean, the, pro- the 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 big conflict there is that she realizes near the end that she should have really gone for a second opinion much earlier. Um, you know, that's, that's a lesson learned. Uh, and um, it might not have helped, but it might have helped. Uh, and uh, I think she was just under the illusion that if you're in a university hospital, you've, you've already got the best, so there's no point in going elsewhere. And I think she was just wrong. Hmm. What inspired you to connect to Catholicism? And... 
you know, how do you reconcile the church's problems with your deep faith? Um, well, uh, you know, by the time that I um, decided to enter the church, I, I well, first of all, I mean, I I experienced it long before I decided to enter it. I, I actually, this happened in an accidental way. I, one of my children was interested in the church, and there was a Catholic church near our house. It was shortly after my daughter died, not so shortly, but like three years or so after. And um, I just went with him because it's something that you do if your kid wants to wants to experience it. You know, I just accompanied him to church. And when I got there, I found myself very moved by the liturgy itself. Uh, and I was quite shocked at that and taken aback. I found it extremely moving, and I started attending. Um, and then I found an advertisement for something called Investigating Catholicism. And I thought, well, I guess, you know, I can investigate anything. I wouldn't have thought of becoming something, but I could investigate anything. So I started going to what turned out to be, at that time, the catechumenate, which is very, a very process-oriented way of getting to know the Catholic Church. Um, and so I went to a catechumenate group at the University of Chicago uh, at their campus ministry. And uh, there I met someone who had a lot of the same kinds of ideas and questions that I had, um, a young woman, and we became very good friends. And so eventually, you know, one thing led to another there. I mean, it was a very emotional process. But as far as the evils of the church, I mean, I was so aware of the evils of the church, and it was before all of the, um, you know, priest scandal came out. But I was so aware of horrible things that the church had done from Galileo, condemning Galileo, all the way up through uh, the Austrian uh, cardinal telling uh Telling Austrians to vote for Hitler, vote for Anschluss to Germany mm. uh, in the when they had that election. I was very aware of all of that. So uh, I was. I mean, I realized that the church is sinful, as are we all. And uh, I, you know, that. On the other hand, it had some values that I that I really respected. You know, um, so uh, so the, yeah, that was. Yeah. That was not too much of a struggle for me. More of a struggle was reconciling, you know, just with like with my family who were really shocked that I was going to do this thing. And, you know, to this day, I have no relatives, including my children or my parents, even though they're gone now, who are Catholic. It's, uh, it's just me. But obviously, it's, it's, it's helped you. I mean, it's given you comfort and, and, and spiritual base. Yes? Yes, very much so, yes. Very much so, and I'm still very connected to a Catholic community here in Chicago. Um, that even though we can't go to church now, which is really bad, that's the longest I've gone without going to mass ever since for the last forty years. Let's talk also about another group that has really inspired you. Certainly, Catholicism has, but the monk, the monk people, H M O N G. Mm-hmm. Um, what drew you to them? And um, talk about you know, what they do and how they've influenced you and sort of what's inspired you? Well, I was thinking, uh, as I mentioned before, about confrontations with the other, with something really different from you. And uh, I asked myself, you know, what is really different from my own spirituality? And uh, I, I felt like theirs was really different. It's uh, their animus, which means they see spirits in many different things in objects and in practices uh, that are more, that are tangible, like, like objects in your house. Um, and um, so I wanted to understand that, and I wanted to see what kind of life it led to. And I found it really interesting and admirable. 
Um, and uh, but I realized that it could cause conflict, so I, I wrote the story some somewhat around that conflict. What kind of what kind of problems that would cause when they were uh, actually? What really happened was they were came from from Laos and were put down in the middle of various midwestern towns, California towns, and so on. So they had to deal, you know, and and they did both adapting and retaining their culture in a way that I found very admirable. Um, and I enjoy, now there's a big Hmong literary community, so I've read a lot of work by the Hmong, uh, memoirs, stories, poems, and so on. Um, and uh, then I've read also, well, uh, one book that's well-known that is about them, written by a person outside the community. It's called The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down by Andrew mm. Adman. And uh, it's, that's also a wonderful book. Um, and, and and then, as I said, I saw this documentary, which really brought it to life for me. It actually showed some of the um, life and the kind of problems that people had, um, you know, the, the young ones being more adaptable and the elders being, you know, get, feeling more out of place and depressed. Uh, the dad in that particular documentary was himself a shaman, so he found it, you know, hard to practice um, mm. and so on. So all of those things, I just... Uh, you know, I felt like that's, I felt like that's what we also as a society need to do now, not just, you know, uh, individual people, but a lot of, we all need to really learn to live in a world that has people that are different from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and learn how to embrace them, right, and and feel yeah. connected. Yeah, very important. All right, we're going to take a break in a minute. When we come back, when we come back, we'll talk about dance. Dance is certainly um, one of the things that was very, very important to you, and I'm sure still is. And yeah. it's it's also in the in the book. Your character uses dance to bridge between cultures and faiths. So I really we're really going to talk about that. The power of movement, the power of dance, and how it can certainly open up a whole new language for people. All okay. right. So my my guest is Maggie Cast, and her book is Side by Side, but Never Face to Face. And she's a former professional dancer, and she's a novelist, and. Um, is bringing us this wonderful novella. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
on Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Well, hello, everyone, and we are back. All right. Um... We have a wonderful author with us today. Her name is Maggie Cast. She's a former professional dancer, and she began writing in the 1990s. She uh, followed her career in modern dance as founder, director, and principal choreographer at the Chicago Contemporary Dance Theater. She's written memoirs and books, and uh, her essays has been published in many in many magazines. And her book is um, is is really very much about. Um, understanding, well, let me read you this part. Greta is the narrator in the book, and she has been wrenched from a long and tightly circled marriage to Manfred, the Austrian Holocaust survivor. Coming from very different backgrounds, they sometimes abraded each other, but the friction struck sparks, and the marriage remained vital. Together they mourn the accidental death of a daughter, and experienced a widening of spiritual horizons that they grieved. So how love endures and how love transcends fear and how love dissolves all those old ideas of desires uh, really is part of what Maggie talks about in her book, which is side-by-side but never face-to-face. And it shows how love can transform impossible conditions uh, of alienation into new respectful sense of communication. So welcome back, Maggie. Thank you so much. Uh, so let's put dance into this. I mean, dance is one way that your character in the book bridges cultures and faiths. You're also a professional dancer. So how has dance inspired you to understand a number of different cultures, faiths, and traditions? And is dance a universal language? Well, I think that dance is a universal language. Uh, and it's also a language that uh, reaches kind of very deep into the uh, emotional life, into the heart or the gut of wherever you locate the emotional center. 
Um, I've, I've had the experience when I was teaching dance of having people, uh, when they move in a certain way, suddenly experiencing a feeling much more strongly than they ever thought they would, mm-hmm. um, than, you know, than they would have if they weren't moving. I mean, I, I was once doing a workshop where I had people uh, imagine uh, that a weight on their shoulders and uh, one person, after they did this for a while and, and moved in, in with that image in their mind, uh, said, you know, um, this makes me so sad, I'm, I'm going to cry, you know. And uh, it, it just evokes the emotion in a way that just words by themselves might not do. Or, for instance, once I danced at a funeral and somebody came up and said to me, you know, I couldn't cry until I saw you dance, and then I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't you think part of that, too, is that, you know, the chemicals that are released in our brains when we're moving? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, probably. Uh, Not that I know very much about that, but, you know, I I do believe that that exercise is good for for depression, you know. You get get the endorphins going. Um, And I, I certainly depend on it even now. Absolutely. So talk about dance and understanding other cultures. Well, um, you know, so-called ethnic dance has always been of great interest to me. Um, I, when I was a kid, my parents were anthropologists, so when I was a kid, we went to, in the summers, we went to the Southwest, and I got to experience Native American dances. Uh, the corn dance at the Pueblo, it used to be called Santa Domingo, it's now Kewa Pueblo, um, was something, it's an all-day event, and uh, we, we went to that a few times, and I found it very compelling. Interestingly, it's also a, a Catholic event, the, the, uh, the, San, the Santa Domingo, St. Dominic, and the, uh, the Kewa Pueblo has been corn dancers and Catholic ever since the 18th century. Uh, they just exist mm-hmm. side by side, as, it, as happens in many parts of the world. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, dance in that case bridges cultures, but it also, uh, you know, if people dance together, they uh, are are unified in a way that is is not uh, doesn't require words. It doesn't ask, you know, how do you how do you like to eat or how how do you like to what what kind of government do you like? It's just you just experience dancing with someone, which is a very strong connection. Yeah, dancing is as you said, it evokes so much emotion. So much. How do you use dance now in your life? Well, I don't dance anymore. I do yoga, which is, you know, definitely keeps me sane, especially during the pandemic. I do, I do, do yoga on Zoom with the same person that I used to study with before in the flesh. And uh, he has a very uh, pandemic-oriented class. It's just an hour long, and it's uh, fairly involves breathing exercises as well as asanas. Those are the poses that you hold in yoga. And, uh, yeah, it does me lots of good. Um, and I, I did barn dancing for quite a while, but I, I, I'm really too old for that now. It just it involves a lot of turning that is not good for the knees, if your knees are shot already, which mine are. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I miss that. I mean, I dance around my kitchen, you know. That's about all. Yeah. Let's talk about... Um yeah, I mean, we talked about dance, and I think that's really important. But your book also focuses on the idea of being a stranger, whether you're in a new country or your own country. And it could be religious difference. It could be real-life consequences. Do you view religion as a force of good, or do you think the divisions it creates 
are too high of a price to pay? Well, I think it's both a force for good and for evil, like most everything. It depends on how it's used, you know. Um, it certainly can be a force for evil if it's used to uh, oppress a child in a family, like in the, uh, the memoir that I read recently called uh, Educated. Um, it can be used uh, as a force for evil, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the sense of, the, in the mission sense. I mean, mission can be a good thing. Uh, you know, mission should be just standing side by side with people and help, helping them in their lives. But it's often used as saying, my way is better than yours and I'm going to try to convince mm-hmm. you, which is not a good way, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, gee, I think I, I couldn't say. I mean, it certainly has been more good than evil for me, and I've benefited greatly from it. You know, the religion really comes from the, the, the word comes from that central syllable, the L-I-G, which is the same word as, as ligature, as connection. Religion means connection. So it's a, it's a strong way of finding what we have in common and feeling connected or being connected. And I think that's very important. Well, and particularly today, don't you think with COVID, where a lot of us are not feeling connected, I think it's even even more important. I agree. I agree. You know, um, the characters in your book, while they're loving and they involve intimate, romantic, and familiar relationships, sometimes they view each other as strangers, which is interesting. Can we really ever know someone completely? Or is it normal to hide or suppress certain aspects of ourselves, even from the people that we love the most? I would say, yes, it is normal to hide or suppress certain aspects of ourselves, uh, and maybe especially from the people that we love the most. Uh, certainly, uh, yeah, I mean, if you believe at all, you know, with Freud, that we have some very uh, deeply held animal instincts, that some of which can be very destructive, uh, then you realize that we're probably never expressing all of ourselves. So, you know, if you, if, you're, if, you don't, if you don't mind, I'd love to read this uh, short bit that explains the, uh, or at least puts in context the title of the book, because it really relates to what you were just saying about connecting with other people. Uh, is that okay? Sure. Sure. We have about three minutes before break, so yes. Okay, this won't take anywhere near that long. Greta, the protagonist, is she here. She's never held that one way of life or one religion was more or less advanced or more peaceful than another. Rather, she found that difference in itself could strip away the vanities, revealing what makes people human. If one eats with a fork and the other eats with chopsticks, these customs can cancel each other out, revealing a shared truth. Both eat. If one dances to make the rain fall and the other seeds clouds with silver iodide from a plane, both seek water. If one comes from the sky and the other comes from a god, both need a tale to explain their short time on earth. From worlds apart, she thinks, she hopes, we'd see each other face to face. So that, that is my sense of, of breaking down the barriers and finding the connections. Very important. And and again, particularly today, you know, I think, I don't know how you feel, but I think with everything going on, I think it has created an awareness of being together, you know, because there's been so much separation and division and divisiveness that I think more people are aware. And uh, it's bringing us to that crossroads 
where mm-hmm. it's in our face and now we have to do something about it. Well, I agree. There's been a rise in, in mutual aid and mutual aid activities and mutual aid organizations in neighborhoods and all kinds of different places. It's yeah. been written about. Yes, I, yes, which is great. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about the book, Side by Side but Never Face to Face. Um, We'll talk about if you become a widow, um, how does that change uh, your relationships, and can you become romantically involved again? So we'll, we'll talk now about more the personal, because the character in the book goes through a lot of these things. My guest again is Maggie Cast former dancer, um, professional dancer, and now novelist. And her book is Side by Side but Never Face to Face. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation, Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. And we are interviewing, I'm interviewing Maggie Cast who is the author of the novella, novella, Side by Side but Never Face to Face. Maggie began writing in the 1990s following a career in modern dance 
is the founder, director, and principal choreographer of Chicago Contemporary Dance Theater. She's the author of a memoir, The Crack, the Crack Between World, The Worlds, and a novel, A Free, Unsullied Land. And she now has written Side by Side, But Never Face to Face. And um, it's an award-winning, she's an award-winning author. And the question, I think, that she asks in the book is, can new love be found in old age? Greta, her narrator, has been wrenched from a long and tightly circled marriage to Manfred, an Austrian Holocaust survivor. Coming from very different backgrounds, they sometimes abrade each other, but the friction has sparks and the marriage remains vital. And they also mourn the accidental death of a daughter and experience widening spiritual horizons. So we're talking about how love endures, how love transcends fears, how it can dissolve old ideas of desire and invite new ones. So welcome back, Maggie. Thank you, Patricia. All right. And speaking of love and can you find love in old age, here's the question. You know, the question is just that. How does widowhood change a person? And can you find romantic connections with someone after a loving partner's death? And I would say particularly when you're older. Well, I would say some can and some can't. Um, Greta in the book uh, does, uh, although it's not clear what, how that, what that will lead to, but she does uh, uh, have a, a romantic relationship uh, at a at a retreat, so it's time bound. It's like it's just a, the whole retreat is only a week, I think. Um, uh, and then it's not clear what will happen afterwards. But you know, it, it I think it portends well. Um, but uh, I mean, if you're asking about my own experience, no, I mean that was fictional. So uh, I, I I have not had that experience. Uh, I my husband died in in '88, and uh, I had one brief very uh, unsuccessful uh, relationship uh, for someone that did not live in town. So I was, you know, it, it lasted a year, but we were only together a few times in that year, I think, uh, maybe four or five, something like that. Um, and that was, yeah, that, what I learned from that is that it's, it's not, not the worst thing to be single. Um, mm. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, my, my, uh, my marriage, my 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 own marriage, which is the which is greatest marriage as long as it lasts, um, was uh, a very happy one. Um, but it was we were very very intimate, very close, and we shared everything. Uh, and in that sense, it was totalizing. That is, it was like a closed circle. We didn't have as much. Uh, we we both had careers. My husband was a physician, and I was a dancer. But um, we didn't have a lot of personal connections outside of the family. Um, so that made it very hard to be a widow at first for the uh, for the first you know I'd say for the first ten years or so uh, you know that but shortly shortly after he died I started to write and I think that partly I think that was a response to uh, not having someone to talk to you know the page became mm-hmm. my listener uh, and yeah. um, actually that has turned out to be fruitful um, so. Uh, but that, that that doesn't say anything about whether it is or isn't possible, you know, to have a new relationship. I think it's uh, it's not impossible for me, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't be for somebody else. Mm. You know, Maggie, having written this book, um, 
What do you feel? I mean, what is your general attitude? I mean, you've had some hardships in life and you've had wonderful times too. And so, you know, as, as we get older, what would be your advice to people, particularly now during the pandemic, uh, people maybe over 50, over 60, you know, in order to make the best of these years, what would you say? Well, I mean, uh, my advice to anyone else, I guess, would be the same as my advice to myself, which is try to have some humans in your life when you can. Uh, you know, balance mental health with, with physical safety. Sometimes you, you have to have human contact to preserve your mental health. Uh, so it's good, you know, if you have a pod that has someone else in it or, or possibly more than one person. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's like with most things, it's a question of balance. Uh, you know, and I, I have found as the pandemic has continued that amongst my friends, I have people on way on one side and way on the other that is being so safe that they are afraid to go for a walk in the street uh, mm. and are, are afraid to um, uh, are afraid to get carry out food. Uh, and uh, and then I have some friends that think nothing of, of and these are all people my age. I have some friends who are willing to go to a gym, which I would never do, uh, are willing to eat inside in restaurants, which I would never do, um, and so on. So there's really a spectrum, even amongst my close friends. Uh, so I realize that I'm, none of my decisions or choices are going to be absolute. Uh, it's all going to be, uh, you know, wear a mask, be as safe as you can, do not go to the gym, do not eat indoors in restaurants. Do not go to church. I know a lot of people that go to church, even though it, even though they wear masks and so on. I think that you know receiving communion from someone's hand is the same as shaking hands, so it's not not safe. Um, mm. But on the other hand, you know, I'm going a granddaughter is going to visit me from California. I mean, we'll wear masks and we'll maintain some distance, but it'll be too cold then for outdoor activities. So we will be indoors. Uh, and she'll only be here for one night. Uh, but still, so I'm, you know, I'm choosing the person over the safety there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes we can quarantine, right? And that helps too, right? If we quarantine before they come or they quarantine before they, they get there, that can also be helpful. Um, yeah, well, in the case of the granddaughter, she gets frequent tests. Uh, I guess that's just by choice. She lives in California, right. and I guess you can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um so that's good. That's good. Ensures that she's safe. All oh, right. If I, had an, if I had an actual exposure, of course, I would quarantine absolutely for two weeks. Maggie, how can people find your book and your other books and and, and your work? All of my books are available uh, at your independent bookstore, which is the best way to do it because then you support the independent bookstore in your community at the same time. But if you don't have one, you can also get them um, from, well, each one from its publisher. In the case of the current one, it's Orison Books. Uh, you can also get all of them from Amazon. Um, my, you can read uh, a lot of my articles uh, at my website, which is www.maggiecast.com. Um, and uh, there, there's interviews on there and uh, uh, reviews and articles and um some videos and things like that. Um, Just wonderful. So, yeah, that's about it. Thank you so much for being on the program. It was great. Well, thank, and thank you, you so for your much, insights. Patricia, it was a <laughs> very, very interesting conversation, and I appreciate your time and your interest very much. 
Oh, it was great. Thanks so much, Maggie. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Remember, uh, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. If you'd like to contact me or be on my newsletter list so you can see all the guests that we have on every month, write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. You can also like me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. And if you or you know someone uh, who's interested in creating their own podcast program, I've interviewed about 5,000 people, and I help people put their podcast programs together and create them. So contact me for that, too. All right, folks, until next week, have a wonderful week. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.